Welcome to the Connecting Place podcast. Here is today's message. Well, today is part two of a series called This is the New Black, and we know that in the fashion industry, uh, they love to label the latest trend, the hottest trend, the new black. And so last week, Pastor Elbert taught us that gray is the new black, and it's just simply this, just because it's trending doesn't make it true. Well, today we're going to be talking about fame is the new black, and they chose me for that. I just want to let you know that. They chose me for that because I'm from L.A., okay? And uh, so anyways, we're going to get into that in a second, and one of the things that my wife and I had the opportunity to do for about 20 years was pastor in Los Angeles. I grew up there, so uh, I was in a valley of two million people. And one out of every six jobs was connected to an industry that existed to make a lot of money and make some people famous. So it, when I was growing up, it wasn't uncommon to have kids at your school that were in Disney movies or TV series or things like that. When we pastored, we had a number of famous people come through our church, and we had an opportunity to pastor a few famous people as well. And, um, you know, there's some great people out there. But one of the things that, uh, that we found out is that a lot of people would show up at our church from all over the world because they had come to Hollywood to become famous. They were on a quest to become famous, and very few of them had any type of success. It's a tough industry. Now, one of the things that we do out there from L.A. is that if you're from L.A., we kind of play it cool, and here's how it works. We see stars all the time. It just happens, and uh, we have an unspoken rule that goes like this, leave them alone. We don't bug them. But I also found out when I had relatives visit, they didn't always adhere to those rules. I'll tell a little story about my father-in-law. Usually we pick on mother-in-laws. This is my father-in-law. Name is Vito. Last name is not Corleone, but his name is Vito. And uh, anyways, we were having uh, dinner at a restaurant by our house called Maria's Italian Kitchen, and a character actor walked in. How many know what a character actor is? Those are the people that you know their face. You just have no idea what their names are. This guy is Charles Blake, and... He was Farmer Fran in The Waterboy, and he played Harry in Home Improvement. Funny guy. And he walks by, and my, one of my sons goes, oh, yeah, there's the guy from, uh, you know, Waterboy. And right as he said that, I saw, like, this spark in my father-in-law's eyes. It's like he lit up. I'm like, hold on a second. I better, I better shut this down now because we don't roll this way out here. I said, Vito, um, I don't think he was listening to me. I said, Vito, um, we just leave people alone out here. Before I could even finish the sentence, he was out of his seat follows the guy to the bathroom. And that's okay if it's like a six-stall bathroom, you know what I'm saying? But this is for like one person at a time. Walks into the bathroom with, and brings him back to our table, and he does his farmer friend. He was a nice guy, but we're like, okay, we don't do that here. But, you know, basically, we know that people, we're all a little bit enamored by famous people. And what you may not know is you may not know that I could have been famous. Seriously, I don't even know why you're laughing about that. I could have been famous because just like Uncle Rico and in, in, in Napoleon Dynamite, man, coach would put me in the fourth quarter. I could have been, you know, all world. But how do you know I could have been famous? Because my mama said so. How many know your mamas don't lie? Mamas don't lie. Now, you may not know this, but I'm originally from Ireland. My family's Irish, obviously, and my parents have the Irish brogue, and so this is an old, old example of mama's not lying, but 
there was a little boy, and back in the day when my dad was growing up, everybody wore these caps, you know. And uh, so this little boy came home and said, Mom, all the kids on the street are calling me Big Head. She said, Son, you don't have a big head. He said, Thank you, Mom, I believe you. She said, Would you go down to the grocery store and get us 10 pounds of potatoes? And the boy said, Mom, what am I going to carry them in? She said, Use your cap. It's an old, old joke. It's not really good. But here's why, my mama, <laughs> here's why my mama thought I could have been famous. Because when my sons get around, every so often she tells this story. Ak, did you know your father could have been famous? I'm like, Mom, please. And she's like, no, I've got the letter. I'm going to give it to you, too. I've got the letter. An agency recruited you to be in commercials. I'm like, Mom, it was probably bulk mail. <laughs> you know? And she, here's why she's convinced. She's like, oh, no. They were looking at your elementary, Gridley Elementary, because Johnny Whitaker is in your brother's class. And they're looking because if you don't know Johnny Whitaker, that means you're not as old as me. Johnny Whitaker was a little actor in a, a, a group called Family Affair. Anybody remember that? Did some Disney movies. Well, he was in my brother's class, my sister carpool with his sisters, and my mom and his mom are still friends today. And my mom is absolutely convinced to this day that I could have been famous because they were recruiting from Johnny's school. And people also thought when I was younger, they thought I looked like Peter Brady. So I'm pretty convinced that my mom goes to sleep every night going, he could have been a Brady. He could have been a Brady. I'm pretty sure it would have ruined me, though, because I was not a good kid. Anyways, and we won't go there today. We'll save that for another time. But if you're older, we all appreciate that. But a lot of us, we're okay with not being famous. But how many know the younger generation and the culture in our, our, our country has shifted a lot and one of the ways it shifted is the values of the younger generation. Now, a study was done a few years ago, and it came up in a USA Today article, and I want to show you that right now, that 81% of the demographic of 18 to 25-year-olds feel that one of the most important things that their generation values now is becoming rich. The second one is that 51% of them believe they should be famous. Now, I don't know how 51% or one out of every two kids think they could be famous, but that's because I grew up in the dinosaur age. You know what I'm saying? I grew up when TV shut off at midnight. Ba, ba, da, ba, ba, ba. Anybody remember that? And then it was like, shh. Only people on drugs watch the TV after midnight. You know what I'm saying? It's like, shh. Wow, man. <laughs> so... I grew up in that era. We didn't have remotes, man. I mean, we suffered. We suffered, not for Christ's sake, but for our own sake. But it made better people out of us. But why do young people think that? Because we've got media coming at them from every angle 24-7, and there's all kinds of rich and famous people. Please forgive me, not trying to be judgmental, but they just don't have talent. Thank you for that. Somebody said that. Yes, thank you for that. Can I give you an example? Now, she's a cute little girl. I like her as a little girl. I got nothing against her. But can you tell me, seriously, if we were to put Shirley Temple up against Honey Boo Boo, who's got the talent? You know what I'm saying? Shirley can dance and act, but Honey Boo Boo, she likes food. You know what I'm saying? So it's like she is a cute little kid. I give her that. But, you know, her program's going to run out one day, and, and we'll be looking at the internet, say, 10, 15 years from now, say, see where Honey Boo Boo is now. That should be interesting, too. I'm really looking forward to see where she is. i got to tell you that. That's going to be fun, I'm telling you. Now here's the kicker. We've got 7 billion people on the face of the earth. That's a lot of folks. 
Guess what? There's only 30,000 famous people out of 7 billion. Here's the other side of that. Only 20,000 of them are still alive because 10,000 of the famous people we know about are dead and in the grave. So there's not a lot of spots at the top. But I'm telling you, today, I want to show you not how to be famous, but I want to show you how to be great. And before I do that, I'm going to make a pledge, a solemn pledge that I take serious before the Lord my God who is witness to these words. But to set that pledge up, I want to show you a little commercial from Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Everybody knows that. Well, did you know Pinocchio was a bad motivational speaker? <laughs> I look around this room and I see nothing but untapped potential. You have potential. So, <laughs> I love that. Hey, here's, I'm not going to, here's my pledge. I will not Pinocchio you in this room today, okay? I'm going to tell you straight up, no, all of you are going to be famous in this room. Is that okay? But here's what I do want to say to you today. Not everyone can be famous, but you know what? Every single person in this room, regardless of your age, I mean, you might be on your last breath, so to speak. But every single one of you can be great. That's the truth. And Jesus shows us how to be great. And that's what I want to look at today. And the main thing I want you to catch today is being famous is all about me. But being great is all about serving God and others. Being famous is all about me, that famous, you know, unholy trinity. We have the trinity, the good trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. The unholy trinity is the trinity of me, myself, and I. And so life really isn't supposed to be all about me, but about him and about others. So we're going to move forward here. I'm going to get into a couple of famous people. One of them you know, made a lot of movies, Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey said these words. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Isn't that amazing? This is a guy who climbed up from humble circumstances and found out that when he attained all this, somehow or another, he knew that it wasn't the answer. And he's saying, I wish just the average Joe out there, if you will, no disrespect to Pastor Joe, but the average Joe out there could experience this because then they would find out, like me, that being rich and being famous isn't it. Now, there was a man in the Bible who went through a midlife crisis. Towards the end of his life, he wrote a book. And in this book, he shared a lot of his pitfalls and his struggles. And part of this book is about him coming back to God. And his name is Solomon. He was the son of David. The guy was worth about between 50 to $100 billion in our money. The guy had every supermodel as his wife in Israel. He had a thousand wives. I think one is enough after being married for a while. And I mean that in a very good way, all right? I do. But this guy had it all. He was famous. He was known. Incredibly smart, genius IQ, wisdom. And he starts to come back to God. And one of the things that we see repeated in the book of Ecclesiastes again and again is a word keeps surfacing again and again, and it's called vain or vanity, 
And we would say it this way. We would say empty. And what is he saying? He's saying at the end of my days, I've assessed all of my accomplishments, all of my riches, all of my fame. And when I think about it, I can tell you this from experience. It's not filling me up. It left me empty. Just like Jim Carrey. But he's going to add a solution to Jim Carrey's quote. And so he starts out in Ecclesiastes 12, and he says, so our bodies return to the earth. What's he saying? Hey, you're not going to live forever. Things look different through the eyes of a 20-year-old than somebody like my age. You know, at 40 years old, it, life looks different. You know what I'm saying? Some of you know I just lied in the pulpit. I'm a little older than that. And the life-giving breath returns to God. Nothing makes sense. I've seen it all. Nothing makes sense. Do you hear that? I was a wise teacher with much understanding. I collected a number of proverbs that I had carefully studied. Then I tried to explain these things in the best and most accurate way. Words of wisdom are like the stick a farmer uses to make animals move. These sayings come from our God, our only shepherd, and they are like nails that fasten things together. My child, I warn you to stay away from any teachings except these. There is no end to books, and too much study will wear you out. What does he want him to pay attention to? This verse. Everything you were taught can be put into a few words. Respect and obey God. This is what life is all about. What will fill you up if you're like me and you had a drug problem as a young person, and I did, and here was my drug problem. My parents drugged me to church every Wednesday. They drugged me to church every Sunday morning and every Sunday night. I had a drug problem, and I hated church. I was the kid in church that went like this. Because I was just letting that preacher know, I don't want to be here and I don't want to listen to you. And I just did that. I did that. I, I just was like, man, as soon as I can get out of church, I'm out of church. But I tell you what, when you sit where I'm sitting now, oh, man, I wish that I would have somehow got connected to him a little bit younger. Could have avoided a lot of trouble, a lot of mistakes. And I found out that I still hadn't found what I'm looking for. Is that a song? All right. I just made it one if it's not. All right, anyways. But you know what? Listen, learn from somebody with experience. Learn from my mistakes so you don't have to make them. And Solomon is, is awesome in that way. He's saying, hey, this isn't what it's all about, guys. But knowing God, loving Him, obeying Him, that's the essence of life. When you stand at my age and you start to look back and you start to realize life is not forever, I am not indestructible, you start to value things differently at my age than you did in your 20s or your teens. This is one of the only societies in the world, Western society, in which we don't listen to the older folks, elders. All throughout the world, in the Asian Rim, in Africa, South America, they revere older folks. They figure they might know a few things. I think we can learn from that. So if you want counsel, just come see me. I'll set you up there, okay? All right, anyways. I met a young man in um, Germany. I had a chance to minister there for several uh, years. And when I was there, I met this guy. Our team prayed for him. God healed his back injury. He hadn't been able to sleep without pain in 15 years. I knew he was a gymnast, and he came back the next night completely healed. And to my knowledge, a few years later when I saw him, he was still healed. But I knew he was a gymnast, and uh, we got to know him a little bit, found out about his background. And so he was out in L.A., for a while on a business venture, and I asked him if he would come and share his testimony with our student ministry, and he agreed to do that. And so he came and he began to share. And Andreas Wecker was the 
um, men's gold medalist in the 1996 Atlanta Olympics. He won the gold medal, one of the most decorated athletes in German Olympic history, and quite an accomplishment. And I knew that about him, but what he said to our students next is what really baffled and blew my mind. Because what he said to our students was he said, after I won the gold medal, I fell into a deep depression for about a year. And I'm thinking, Andreas, I mean, you're celebrated. You're, you're, you're honored in your country, you know, like a Mary Lou Retton or whatever. You're honored. Why would you be depressed? And he said, well, what happened was that my whole life, from the time I was a little boy, I had one single purpose and focus in mind. I'm going to be the best gymnast in the world. I'm going to dedicate myself. I'm going to push past workouts that other people don't want to work that. I'm going to push past that. I'm going to push past my pain, past everything that gets in my way. And I will be the best in the world. And he said he was driven every single day when he rolled out of bed for that one goal, that gold medal. And sure enough, in 1996, he stood on the podium. They hung that medal around his neck. He had climbed the mountain that he had set his eyes on from the time he was a little boy. He had arrived. He was there. And he said, when I got to the top of that mountain and I was there, I suddenly had this realization hit me that, oh my gosh, I woke up for this every day. Now that I'm here, now what? What's next? I've got it. And he became depressed. And God reached out to him during that time of depression and became a follower of Jesus Christ. And I believe if you're here today and you're a younger person and you're saying, man, if I could just be rich and famous, that would solve all of life's problems. Let me tell you something. It will not. And being famous is an earthly thing. It's temporary. But being great is eternal. And so Jesus... This morning, I want to look at his words. He shows us in the Gospel of Mark how we can be great. And if you're here today and maybe somebody invited you to church or they invited you and said, hey, we'll, we'll buy you a lunch afterwards. Are you not sure if you believe in God or where you stand? I just want, to know, I want you to know today that I'm going to show you what Jesus thinks about being great. Because he wants you to be great too. And so in Mark chapter 9, verse 33... It says, they came to Capernaum, and when he was safe at home, he asked them, what were you discussing on the road? How many of you figured out when God asks you a question, it's not because he doesn't know the answer? The silence was deafening. Man, I love that translation. The silence was deafening. They'd been arguing about one another over who among them was the greatest. Seriously? They're arguing. These are the guys that are going to lead the church. I'm sure Jesus is going, Father, did we really get this one right? Seriously. These guys are arguing, and because these guys were rough guys, I'm sure the argument deteriorated into like almost fisticuffs. Like Peter's like, I will punch you in the face, man. I am the greatest. I want to see that DVD in heaven or whatever they use when we get there. But Jesus is like, Father, we got to do something about this. So he's going to nip this in the bud because, hey, being competitive is great on an athletic field, but not in the kingdom. And so he says... It says in verse 35, he sat down and summoned the 12. He said, so you want first place? You want to know how to get to first place? Then take last place. Be the servant of all. And so what is he saying? He's saying, guys, I know you've been trained in a society with a pecking order. And you think being great is being the CEO, being the big dog, being the boss. Because that makes everybody else the little dog. And your mindset is, if I can get to the top, 
I am the greatest. He said, but I tell you what, the kingdom of God and how we look at life is a little bit different than humans down here on earth. Because the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom where we flip it. If you want to be first, you come last. If you want to go high, you go low. If you want to be great, you become the servant of all. That's important, the word that he uses for servant. It's where we get our word deacon. It's from the Greek word diakonos. And it just means not a slave, but a servant, somebody who did menial labor. And he's saying, I want you as my apostles to intentionally, by choice, by my example to you, position yourself on a day-by-day basis in the position of a servant. The apostle Paul writes letters to us and he says, I am a servant of Jesus Christ. Peter, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. James, John, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. Yes, we are the children of God. Yes, we are adopted by God. We are loved by Him. But we must also always have the posture of a servant of the living God. He set the example. Now, it goes on to say that in verse 36, He put a child in the middle of the room. Then cradling the little one in his arms, he said, whoever embraces one of these little children as I do embraces me and far more than me, God who sent me. So we've got this pecking order of men, women, and children in their society. Jesus takes someone in their eyes who is the most insignificant person in that room. And what does he do? He embraces him, wraps his arm around him. What is he doing? He is saying, this is who I came for. He is adding value and adding significance to a little child. They're like, what? And he's saying, by the way, if you do this to a little child in my name, you might as well have done it to me, embraced me. And if you've embraced me, you might as well have embraced my father. Whatever you do for one of these little ones, you've done it unto me. So Jesus flips the kingdom and he says, hey, this is an upside down kingdom. And if you want to be great, you have to be last. You have to go low. And so he shows us that pathway to greatness. But what does that look like in my life and in your life? Part of it is simply this. We have to move out of the kingdom of self into the kingdom of God and others. And the way we do that is by serving. How do we do that? 1 Peter, I think I've got that somewhere in here. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. I am looking for it in my notes, folks, and I will get there eventually. It's probably way down at the bottom. Let's see. Here we go. 1 Peter 4, 10. Each of you has received a gift to use to serve who? Others. Be good servants of God's various gifts of grace. Now, isn't that interesting? We have been given gifts to do what? To serve others. When a tree grows fruit, is that fruit for the tree to consume? Or is it for others? Listen, there's not one of you in this room who has made a decision to follow Christ that is not gifted. You may not know what it is right now, but the leadership of this church exist to help you find out what that is and help you walk in it and listen your job is not your identity what defines you is your calling not your vocation your calling is what god created you for the purpose that you exist and that can be found in christ and it might look different in your life than it looks in my life but we're all gifted 
And how does that work? Am I saying just serve in church? No. This message is about being a servant everywhere you go. At home. At work. In church. See, our lives, all of us, our lives intersect the lives of other people. And generally that's not by chance. And those intersections are chances for us to become servants to those people that God is putting in our path every day. We can't be looking just to go to the mission field. I'm excited this church is about to go on a mission trip. That's exciting. But how many know there's a mission field right here too? We need to be serving right here, right now. Everywhere we go, there's an opportunity to serve. And it's so easy to do. We can step into that. Now, here's the thing. Every single one of us in this room are going to have to overcome a few things in order to serve. Number one, you might say, I'm afraid. I'm not courageous enough. But I'm telling you today, that's what faith is all about. Faith is spelled this way, R-I-S-K. See, Jesus said to Peter, Peter, get out of the boat. Come. And Peter still had to take a step on the water, which is mind-blowing, didn't he? How many know there was a little bit of fear there, but he did it. He got out of the boat. And you and I are going to have to push past our fears, push past the unknown. Because here's the deal. Being great is contingent upon you and I having the attitude of serving others. And you, by the way, have been gifted by God. You have abilities that might look different than mine or somebody else's to actually do that. I used to go to a mall when I was growing up called the Northridge Mall, and they had a prism. It was about two stories tall, and the sunlight would hit it, you know, from overhead. And it was kind of cool. We'd stand there as kids and look at it because all of a sudden you see the colors of the rainbow, right? But it was all from that ray of sun, and yet different colors came out of that one ray of sun, and the grace of God is called the multifaceted, manifold grace of God. It's, it shows up, it looks different, but it's all the grace of God. And His grace shows up in my life and looks one way and shows up in your life and looks another. But all of you have it. And all of you have the potential to be great. Are you with me this morning? So I want you to be great. God wants you to be great. And He's showing you how to be great. But you've got to push past that inconvenience. Man, there are so many opportunities out there where we live. How about this? How many enjoy that cup of coffee every, every time you come to church? I'm not going to lie. I enjoy the coffee, man. I take advantage of it all the time. And I just, I have this realization that that coffee doesn't make itself. Somebody, thank you for, so much for that. Somebody showed up this morning while you and I were sleeping, rolled out of bed and brewed that coffee for us. Now, how many of you know the Bible says in Mark 9:41? yeah. Thank you, Father, for coffee. I partake of his good goodness and his gifts through a cup of coffee every day, multiple times. And uh, it didn't make itself, but Jesus said in Mark 9, 41, if somebody gives you a cup of water or a bottle of water because you belong to me, there's a reward attached to that in heaven. Apparently, heaven is taking notes of a cup of water. Now, how many know a cup of coffee trumps water? Now, you want to go really deep today? Y'all want to go deep today here? Because if you don't, I'll just back off right now. But if you want to go deep, we're going to go deep here, okay? We're going to go real deep here. You want to trump a cup of coffee? Sign up for Kids for God and change a diaper. 
Man, there is a reward in heaven for that that is going to blow. That's probably worth 40 cups, 40 cups of coffee right there. We've got opportunities here every Sunday. You can walk past that tent every Sunday and never pick up an application. Or today you can say, I'm going to get in. I'm going to get in today. When I was a kid growing up in California, when I was 14, I loved to swim. When I was 14, my parents bought a new home, and they, did it. they put a built-in swimming pool in there, you know? I mean, I love that. And so we swam, and our friends would come. We'd swim all the time. We'd spend hours in the pool. And uh, early, you know, in the summer, it wasn't really summer, but like in May, we'd be like out there, and sometimes a little cold up there, foot of hills of the mountain where we lived. And I'd tap my foot in that water and kind of test it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Kind of test the water. Wow, we're going to calculate how much discomfort there is in jumping in, right? So when you're 14, you just, you touch it, you go, that's fine. When you get to be like 40 or 50, you're kind of like, okay, that's going to be uncomfortable for about like a minute, 30 seconds. And what you do, you get on the board and you stand there and you go, hmm, we can do this. All your family's over there, you're just waving at them, you're just like being cool up there. It's like, but in your mind, you're like, Dang, it's going to be cold in there. I don't, I don't, you know, and your little niece is like, come on, Uncle Graham. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want these little girls to embarrass me. i got to jump in. They're already in there. So I'm like, okay. I stand there, and what am I doing? I'm going through all the reasons why I shouldn't jump in. i got to get past those barriers. They're mental barriers, and they're real. I mean, that water actually is cold, you know. And all of a sudden, I get to that point, puff up my chest as much as I can. <laughs> And all of a sudden, I'm like, that's it, that's it. Nah, no, no, no. And then I just like, I'm like, okay, here we go. And I go, one, two, three, bam, I've hit that board so many times. And I lean forward, I'm in that dive position, I'm in the water. Woo! That's the first thing that comes out when I come up. And then after about a minute, I'm like, come on in, it's awesome. <laughs> Do you know what? Life has enough inconveniences so that if you don't want to serve, your legitimate reasons for not serving will provide the reason for you to stay out of the game. I see two men of God. Pastor Joe talked about this a few weeks ago. Two men of God, the Good Samaritan, right? A Levite and a priest. These are guys who have dedicated their whole lives, their full-time ministry, as we used to call them. But they're so busy doing God's will that when they see a need, they just walk right on by. And this Samaritan, who I'm guessing is just as busy, he's a businessman because he's got an account with the Marriott down the street. They know who he is. He's got good credit with them. He's going to repay them. They trust that. He's a businessman. He's busy. He's going somewhere to do business. But he sees a need. He's like, well, I'm not a doctor. He doesn't make an excuse. He walks over and he just helps the man. See, that was where his life intersected that day. Just like today when you walk out of here or tomorrow when you go to school or whatever you do, your life's going to intersect with somebody else. And there's going to be an opportunity to serve someone else. And if we don't push past inconvenience, we'll never serve. One of the greatest things Pastor Brandon ever did for me here was when I first came to this church, you know, I'd been in ministry for almost 20 years. I hadn't been in the secular arena for a long time, and I'm, I'm thrown out there in that secular arena. Get a job, okay? I got a job. I'm the low man on the totem pole now, and I'm just working away, and I'm putting in some long hours during the week. I'm not complaining because I'm thankful for the job, you know? But I'm putting in some long hours during the week, and I'm having to learn all kinds of new stuff, and my brain is frying because I'm not as young as the people I'm working with. My brain is frying. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is like meltdown overload here. I'm having to take all this knowledge in. And I'd come to Saturday, and I'd like wake up Saturday, and I'd be like, I'm so tired. I just want to lay here. I just want to lay before the Lord and just meditate on his goodness. And 
I'm like, right, I've been doing this too long to fall for that one. And I'm like, dang it, if Brandon wouldn't have asked me, I wouldn't have to do it. But um, I'm like, okay, I haven't, I haven't done worship in about a decade, so I know I'm rusty. And then Brandon has the audacity to schedule me for like three weekends in a row, you know? Seriously, like, come to like three services? Like, you came to one today? I had to come to three, you know? I should say, got to. But I can tell you, it was totally inconvenient, because by Saturday at one o'clock, I'd be like, oh my gosh. I'm so exhausted, man. I just want to lay here and sleep and watch a movie. But I got to get up, drink my coffee, and start warming my vocals up. And I have to show up early and do all this. Now, it sounds like a complaint, doesn't it? But I'll tell you what. He did me a favor. He did me one of the greatest favors he could have ever done. Because there's a reward attached to that. But I'll tell you what. I never walked out of one worship service not going, that was awesome. The water was so good. You should get in the water. I'm going to do you a favor this morning that you'll thank me for for the rest of your life if you do something with it. Some of you are already there, and I know that. But if you're not there and you've been making excuses for why you can't get in because, you know, all your ducks aren't in a row, that day's never coming. That day's never coming. I want to encourage you to jump in today. I want to encourage you to get in the game. You know, the strength of an army is not the size of the army, but it's the size of the army that's mobilized and on the front lines. So if we have an army of 10,000 people, but only 1,000 of them are on the front lines, that's our strength. We have a lot of people that call this home. And the, minist the ministry leaders here, they have tons of vision in their heart for what they want to see happen. And here's what I want to say. We exist to see a city connected to God. Can you imagine what would happen if suddenly some of us that have been sitting back decided that today, before we walked out of here, we were going to jump in, we were going to get in the game and get going. Instead of having one Jefferson Elementary outreach, we might have two or three or four because Christian would say, I've got so many volunteers that I can do four or five elementaries. How much more could we connect the city to God if we said, I'm going to take this serious. I've got a gift from God. I may not know what it is, but it's my job to discover it. It's my job to develop it. It's my job to dedicate it, to be used for the service and the glory of God. How much greater could believers be? A lot. What makes the difference to you? Here's where I'm going to close today. Don't compare yourself to other people. Someone came to Mother Teresa one time, and why does the world respect her? Because they saw a woman who laid down her life for the untouchables of India. Even the world respects that. They get that. But someone came to her today one day, and they said, Mother Teresa, I can't feed a thousand people a day. They were looking at what she was doing, and she just turned to them and said, I'll tell you what, I know that. Why don't you just start by feeding one person a day? What is she saying? Start where you're at. See, being famous is all about me, but being great is all about serving God and others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much today for these great people. I know many of them are here today, and they're already in the game. They're already serving. But, Lord, all of us can do more. I can do more. We can do more. Lord, I pray that you would just begin to open our eyes and make us aware as we go about our day-by-day -day life, Lord, that, that cashier at the gas station, Somebody maybe who is getting beat up verbally by other people. Lord, let us be a servant to that person today. Let us be a servant to our roommates, our coworkers, our, our bosses, and, and, and just our family, Lord, and especially at church, Lord. 
And Lord, if there's people here today that have heard message after message and they've just kind of been sitting on, on the fence, they're undecided, I pray, Lord God, would you just give them a little shove? Just give them a little shove. Push some courage in them today, Lord, to go ahead and get out of the boat and take a step of faith and say, all of heaven is counting on me to do what only I can do because your gift is unique to you. So I pray that for them. I also want to pray for you today here. If you came here today and you're not really sure where you stand with God, you're not sure where you're at in the department of faith or if you have enough faith or whatever, I just want to talk to you for a second. You came here. God knew you would be here. And a couple of thousand years ago, Jesus had a habit of walking up to people who were right in the middle of their life and he would say these words, come, follow me. And if you're here today and you've never made a choice to follow his leadership in your life or follow him, I believe that Jesus is saying to you today, come and follow me. And the question I have for you is, are you ready to follow him? Don't make the mistake I did where I thought I had to be perfect before I would be good enough for God. See, the thing that distinguishes Christianity from all other religions in the world is this. All other religions in the world are based upon your approach to God or what you can do to be accepted by God. Christianity is completely different than that. It is based on the fact that Jesus has already done it for you. It's not something to be achieved, but to be received. We're just saying yes to him. The Bible makes a promise, whoever believes on the Lord. Do you believe in the Lord today? Do you believe in him? You might say, yes, I'm believing. I might have some struggles, but yes, I believe in him today. Then there's one other thing I would ask you to add to that. It says, whoever believes in him and calls on his name will be saved. See, that's not a promise I'm making. That's a promise that he made to you. That if you just add calling on his name to the belief you already have in your heart, then you too will enter into the kingdom of God the same way that every other person in this church has this morning. So if you're here today and you're saying, I want to pray a prayer of commitment, I'm ready to follow Jesus, then I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Church, would you help us pray? Just say this. Say, Heavenly Father, I believe you are my Father. I believe Jesus was your Son who you sent into this world to die for my sins. And right now, I place all of my trust in what he did on my behalf. I'm not trusting my behavior. I'm not trusting my promises. I'm not trusting my good intentions. I'm not trusting my church attendance. I'm not even trusting my prayers. I'm placing all of my faith in what Jesus did when he died on the cross for my sin. Receive me into your family. Receive me into your kingdom. I believe in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Connecting Place podcast. For more information about Believer's Church, visit believers.cc.